This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's reading is taken from Psalms 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Amen. Amen. I want to begin by asking uh, everyone a question this afternoon. Um, How important is this community to you? How important is church to you? How necessary is it? Let me ask you another question. Is this community, is this church good for you? You know, a lot of us may be having all these different answers going on in my head. And as I was preparing to this week's message, I ran across a survey conducted in the United States by Ligonier Ministries. They offer a lot of helpful theological resources on their website. And every year they send out a poll to all US evangelicals, not to all US evangelicals, to a big pool of US evangelicals to get the temperature, the state of theology, what they believe in America. And last year, there are two um, statements that I wanna look at today that's related to what we wanna look at in God's word. And so they give out these theological statements. And there's five different responses that you can uh, respond with. It's strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, strongly disagree, or not sure. So the first statement, uh, and you can do this survey in your heads as well. uh, The first statement read like this. Every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. Every Christian has an obligation. It's necessary for us to join a local church. And uh, if we're going to group the responses together, right, for those who strongly agree to somewhat agree, some form of agreeing, to the next group being the people that disagree, the results showed this. Two out of three evangelicals in the United States did not think that church was necessary, that they did not need to join a local church. Only one in three Christians thought that they were obligated to join a church. The next statement that I wanted to look at was, this. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. I want to emphasize regularly. You know, things happen in life. Sometimes we can't make it. We tune in online or we worship with the family. But this this statement is emphasizing regular church attendance. I don't need it. I can do it alone. I can do it with my family. The results for this question was about the same. Two in three Christians think that they could stay at home and worship online or can stay at home and worship with their family. And that is a valid replacement of the gathering of believers. You know, Eugene Peterson says this, we can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. The community, this covenant community, the church, We all need it. Scriptures show us in Hebrews to not neglect gathering and encouraging one another. But as we do so, we tend to get burned out. Sometimes we face conflict 
with one another. Sometimes we begin to neglect the importance of gathering together in community. This psalm, although it's short, it shows a beautiful, rich picture of the community of God. For us, namely, it's the church. And what we see today, in the truth that we see in today's psalm, is that God blesses us through the community of believers united in worship. So is the church good for you? Is it necessary? Yes, it's not only commanded to us in Scripture to gather, but it's a place where God blesses us when we gather in unity. So we're going to look at this psalm, and we're going to move through it verse by verse, and we're going to look at three aspects of unity. First, it's the design of unity, the picture of unity, and then finally the blessing of unity. The design, the picture, the blessing. So first, let's go to the design of unity. And what I mean by design it is that it's God's design for us to be in unity with one another. Let's look down and read verses one, uh, verse 1 together once again. Behold, behold, look, it was quite a sight for the psalmist to see. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For this first verse, I want to look at these two words, good and pleasant. And these two words are not actually just synonyms of each other, trying to emphasize a point, but they convey two very different meanings about the unity of believers. This word good, we see it used often in Scripture, most Namely, most, um, what we can most remember is the creation account in Genesis. When we look at the creation account in Genesis, after God created light on the first day, what did he say? It was good. He created the sky on the second day, and he said it was good. He's created the land and the seas, the sun, the moon, the stars. And after each day of creation, he said that it was good. And finally, on the sixth day of creation, he created Adam. He looked at Adam, he created him and said, it is not good for you to be alone. And so what he did was then create Eve and put them in a loving union with each other. Man and wife in perfect unity. And God this time looked at that and he said, it was good? No, he said it is very good. He created them in unity and he said it was very good. We can take good to mean that this is how it ought to be. This is the way that God wants things to be, right? We all have our different standards of what we think good is, right? Some of us think, uh, think that it's good to put pepperoni, I mean, pineapple on our pizzas, and the other half of this church would think that is evil and you should never do such a thing. We all have our own uh, subjective understanding of what good is. But when we look at good here in the scriptures, what it teaches us is not what's good to me, what's good to you, but it's good according to God. It's the way things should be. It's the way things ought to be. And that is God's design for us, to be in unity in community. And then when we look at the word pleasant, right, we know what pleasant is. It's delightful, it's happy, it's joyful. So we look at this statement that dwelling together in unity as brothers and sisters, is not only God's design, it brings us joy. It completes us. It makes us happy. A commentary states it like this. With vivid language, the psalm begins by exclaiming that brothers living in unity is both intrinsically right and emotionally pleasant. 
intrinsically right and emotionally pleasant. But if you've been in community, whether outside of church or inside of church, you know if you've been in it long enough that it's not always so pleasant, right? Don't raise your hands, but how many of us have experienced hurt in the church before? Unless you're new to church, we've all experienced it one way or another, right? We come and we have disagreements with one another. We come, we have different ideals. We bump heads with certain people. Some people are more strong-willed. Some of us come and we have trouble fitting in. We're hurting this way. We're betrayed. There's fights. There's quarrels. Sometimes there's gossip. And we come into this gathering that God, is, that God has designed for us that should bring us joy. But there's disunity that brings hurt and heartache. It's not a flaw in God's design, but it's a result of our sin. We looked at Adam and Eve, and he said that unity was good, that it was perfect. It was very good. But they brought sin into the world, and very, very quickly, they were separated from God, and strife entered their relationship. And right after Adam and Eve, we see there's two sons, Cain and Abel. What happens there? Abel becomes jealous of Cain's worship, and he goes and murders his own brother. An evil picture of disunity. Disunity of the worst kind. A couple chapters later, we look at Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. And what does Jacob do? He deceives his father to steal his brother's birthright, and then he runs away for 20 years for fear of his life. More disunity. Joseph and his brothers, a couple chapters later, what happens there? Joseph's brothers grow jealous of him. They get tired of the favoritism that he receives. And Joseph was, you know, a little bit arrogant and snotty. And so they were annoyed with him. And what did they want to do? They wanted to kill him. They plotted to kill him. But rather instead, they sold him into slavery. The Bible is not short of stories of the disunity and disharmony and strife that exists in our relationships with one another. And the psalmist has this in mind as he's writing this story. The psalm is attributed to David. And last week, we saw how David had a heart to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the special presence of God, back to the people of God. And as he restored that to Jerusalem, before he became king, David had a huge task of bringing a disunited nation together in unity. Uh, If we know the story of David, as he was chosen to become the next king, his predecessor, Saul, was out to kill him. He was madly jealous of David, and he was out to just destroy him. And this, this drama between the two, it wasn't just between David and Saul. It ended up dividing a whole nation. Camp Saul versus Camp David. It divided the entire nation. And so after Saul died and David was about to come into power, he had this difficult task of bringing this divided nation together to become one in unity. And by God's grace, he was able to accomplish it. And so as he's in Jerusalem, as the special presence of God is there, the people come together as God's people to worship in unity. And David says, look, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Even the pilgrim, long after David's rule, as they make their trek to Jerusalem year after year, which is what these psalms of ascents were, they would sing this song. 
And even though there might not have been political unrest in the nation, there was great chance for disunity because what you had was these pilgrims from all different walks of life, all different regions, all different tribes coming together in one city to worship God. Uh, an Old Testament professor, Dr. William Barrick, says this. Pilgrims faced not only the potential disharmony within individual families, but the tensions of getting along with others in competition for the same resources, for lodging, food, and water. In addition, there have been clan rivalries that could disrupt the peace of a pilgrim encampment after days of weary travel. So these pilgrims would gather all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, all different tribes, going on this arduous journey that would put, you know, test anybody's patience. And they come to Jerusalem. They put their own selfish desires aside, and they come together and worship God. What this verse tells us is a community unified in worship is God's design for us that brings us joy. My wife and I uh, enjoy going to the orchestra. Have you ever been? There is such an experience to see this, just all these instruments coming together in a symphony to make a beautiful noise. It's such an experience to behold. And you have such a diversity of instruments. You got winds, percussions, strings, instruments of all different sizes and shapes, making all different noises. And all these instruments come together to the tune of one conductor, to one sheet of music. And they come together in unity. And as they play together in unity, it makes this beautiful, beautiful noise that is pleasant to hear and pleasant to experience. But I want you to imagine the keyboard, not the keyboard, the pianist, wakes up one morning. And they wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And for some reason, they want to be the star of the show. So in the middle of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, the pianist breaks out into Bohemian Rhapsody. It would sound terrible. There'd be disunity. It's not the way it was meant to be. It, was not, it wouldn't be a pleasant sound to our ears. But when everyone is on the same page, following one conductor, it creates a beautiful sound that is pleasant to our ears. God's design for us on our journey is for it to not be done alone, not to be done in our homes alone, but to be done in community. He's designed us to be an orchestra. We are the body of Christ. And in this body, there are people of all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, people from different social and economic standings, all different ethnicities, nationalities, different personalities and interests, all different ages and stages of life, different hurts and experiences, different struggles, different sins. The psalmist is showing us that there's beauty to behold when we all come together in unity and look to Jesus Christ. When we, we should pursue this unity in the body. It's what is good for us. It's what ought to be, as God says. And it's also pleasant for us. It gives us joy on our journey. And this means going out of our comfort zones, right? This means talking to the person that you don't know, going out and saying hello, introducing yourself, getting to know them. 
This means going out of your comfort zone and sharing your struggles with the people around you so that they can walk alongside you. This means going out of your comfort zone and being intentional about calling someone in the middle of the week, saying how you're doing, letting them know that you're there to pray for them. It's intentional about coming and gathering on Sunday, although it can be difficult, although we might not feel like it, although we think it might not be good for us. But to come together, no matter what we're feeling, to gather with other brothers and sisters who are also going through different things like us and to look to Christ together. It's what God has designed for us, and it's what brings us joy. Next, we'll look at the picture of unity, the picture of unity. If you can look down to verses 2 and 3 with me. It is like the precious oil on the, beard, on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. How was your guys' last vacation home, right? A lot of us as expats, we go home on vacation during the summer or during winter break, and we see our, our old friends, we see family, we have these great meals, a great time, and then we come back to Seoul. And you return. And imagine if you asked your neighbor right now, how was your vacation? How was your trip? And they responded, it is like precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. It's like the dew of Hermon. You would have a lot of follow-up questions, or the conversation would just end right there. This image, this picture that's being drawn for us, we really can't relate to it. We, we, really not know, we don't really understand what the psalmist is trying to portray. So let's take a look at what this picture means, because for the psalmist, the Israelite, the pilgrims, it did uh, convey a certain image in their head. And they were able to hear and say, ah, yes, unity is like precious oil. It is like the dew. So let's look at what the oil it represents. What does Aaron's oily head and beard and all of that have to do with unity? What this image evokes in the mind of the Israelite is the anointing of, of Aaron as a high priest. Aaron is Moses' brother. And if you remember, in the, back in the Old Testament, in the early days of Israel, Israel was under captive, and they were held as slaves in Egypt. And God raised up Moses to bring them out of captivity. And Aaron was Moses' older brother. And as God was developing Israel into a nation, he established a priesthood. And Aaron was the first high priest. And so Aaron, as he is anointed into this office of high priest, oil was used to consecrate him, to set him apart for this office, for this role. And so let's look at, the, look at Exodus 30, 22, and see uh, a little bit more in depth what, it's, uh, what God was doing with the oil and Aaron. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, 24, and 500 of, sorry, that's verse 24, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive, a hin of olive oil. A hin is about four or five liters, so it's a lot of oil. And you should make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It should be a holy anointing oil. You shall anoint Aaron 
and his sons and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. So this is what the, the, the pilgrims have in their mind when they hear this, they hear this image of Aaron and the oil. There's two aspects of the oil that we read of. There's an aspect of the oil running down. There's a repetition of this running down from the head to the beard, running down from the beard to the collar. And we also see that there is a fragrance to this oil that is a sweet, aromatic fragrance that is pleasing to the smell. And looking down at this, looking at this downward aspect of the oil helps us understand what it means that unity is like oil running down on the beard. As Aaron was anointed, it was Moses who would pour this oil onto him, and it would flow down. And in the same way, we look at our great and final high priest, Jesus Christ, and we think about his baptism as he began his public ministry. As he was baptized, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes down upon Christ, and through his ministry and his finished work, that anointing of the Holy Spirit then now comes down and flows down onto the people of God. This flowing of the oil teaches us this unity that we have in this body here today is a gift from God. It's a gift that, from God that is possible through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first uh, metaphor that we look at, that unity is a gift given to us from God that flows down to us through the Holy Spirit. And then we look at the dew of Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon is about 2.7 kilometers or 9,000 feet above sea level. It's higher than most mountains in Korea. And it sits north of Jerusalem about 150 kilometers. And at Mount Hermon, there's all sorts of moisture and condensation. There is snow on the peaks almost all year round. There's rain that constantly falls down, and there is rich dew that comes every morning. And for the Israelite, when they think of Mount Hernan, they think of all this moisture coming down and flowing and feeding the rivers and the streams and bringing life and refreshment to the dry and arid desert region. And so we can look at union in the same way, unity in the same way. With these two metaphors, we can learn that a community unified in worship is a gift given to us from God that refreshes our souls. It's a gift given to us by God that refreshes us. I, I, I love soul. I, I love the city. I love how everything stays open late. I love how there's so much culture and diversity, the fast-paced lifestyle, the option of food. I've always loved living in the city. I grew up either in the suburbs in Maryland in the United States or here in Seoul my entire life. And guess which place I love more? Seoul. I've been living here for quite some time now. But as much as I li love living in Seoul, as much as I love the city and the experience, after some time, it wears down on you. I don't know, maybe some of you guys are kind of in this place right now. Maybe some of you just hate the city and you're always worn down by the rat race here. But after some time, it wears down on you. The fast pace of all, the meeting with people, the constant appointments and everything. And every once in a while, what you'll need to do is you'll need to go on a break, right? We just had spring break and a lot of you were traveling this past week. 
And what we do is, right, we go to Jeju. We go there, we get out of the city, we look at the beautiful ocean, enjoy the fresh air, spend time at our, our favorite cafes. And it's just a wonderful time. It's refreshing. Some of us enjoy hiking. Korea has lots of beautiful mountains for hiking. And we get out of the city, we spend the day going up, and we just, we're in nature. The green just you know, refreshes our lungs, and it, and it revitalizes us, and it energizes us as we come back into the city to face the busyness of it all again. And this serves as a picture of what a unified community of believers is like. We live out there in this world, and it can be brutal. It can be rough. It can be difficult. We struggle with sin and temptation, and it just brings us down, and we struggle with knowing whether God loves us and forgives us. We face sicknesses and, and disease and the limitations of our own bodies. We get tired from the work that we labor over day after day. There's relational challenges that really just shake us and really hurt our hearts as we struggle with the people that we love with. These challenges are real as we live out there in the world. And they bring doubt. They shake our identity. And it can be tiring. We all have them. We all deal with them today in this room. But by his grace, he's given us a gift of community, a gift of community where we come together and we worship together in unity. We come with all our different flaws and all of our different baggages and all of our different struggles. And we come together and we look at Christ together. We worship him. And when you begin to see this and experience it, it refreshes your soul. It brings you life and strengthens and encourages you as you go back into this world. I wish every week that I could invite a handful of you guys up here to look out at our church as we sing to God. It is such a privilege and it's humbling to be able to see your voices and your faces lifted up, all looking to God. All of us sinners, all of us broken, all of us knowing that we are in need of him. And there's something about it when we look at one another, when we come together in unity in singing, when we come together in unity under the preaching of the word at the Lord's table, it refreshes us, it strengthens us. Because our faith can waver. We can struggle. But when we look to our brothers, when we look to our sisters, and we see them looking to God, trusting in God and his promises, it strengthens and it deepens our faith as well. This body, this community is a gift given to us by God, and it refreshes us as we journey through this life. And finally, we're going to look at the blessing of unity. And it's... Uh, we're going to focus on the last sentence of this psalm, but let's just read it all together once again because uh, it's such a beautiful song. I'll read that for us. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Dwelling in unity is like a precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is a gift given to us by God through his son, Jesus Christ. This unity is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. It brings us life. It refreshes us. For there, at Zion, in this community of believers, it is there that the Lord has commanded blessing, life forevermore. 
It is in the unity of believers there that God commands his blessings for us. Very simply, David is emphasizing that we don't fully experience the joy of the life God has given us unless it is experienced together in community. I'll say that again. We do not fully experience the joy of the life that God has given for us unless it is experienced in community. Life forevermore, life everlasting, is a gift that God has given us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And that gift is something that we're not going to be enjoying alone when we go to heaven. It is a gift that will be enjoyed in perfect harmony and community with one another. Revelation 7, 9 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. We will enjoy the blessings of eternity with God in a perfect community with one another. And until that day comes, we can experience glimpses of those blessings here in this community right now when we pursue, when we prioritize, and we seek for unity amongst our community. In probably one of the greatest prayers ever prayed, Jesus prays multiple times that we would be unified. In the great high priestly prayer, on the, during that Passion Week, after Jesus has his last supper with his disciple, he goes to pray before he is betrayed. He prays for himself, for strength. He prays for his disciples. And then he prays for us, the church. And this is what it says in John 17. I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Unity is a gift from God. It was Jesus' prayer for us to gather in unity. But as we discussed earlier, it can be a challenge. We face disunity because of our sinful nature. Right? We've all been hurt. We've, had, we've been wronged by one another. We have differences in opinion. So how can we get past all this hurt that we bring upon each other, whether intentionally, intentionally or unintentionally? How do we get past that and live in community? And it lies in looking to our great high priest, going back to this image of Aaron being the high priest of the people at that time. Oil would be poured onto his head and he would be anointed. It would flow from his head to his beard, to his collar, and eventually onto his chest. And the high priest at that time, they had special garments. And one of the special garments was a breastplate. And on this breastplate were 12 different stones, each stone with the tribe, with the names of the tribe of Israel. 
and the anointing would come down and eventually cover those names as well. And the priest would then go perform his duties at the Day of Atonement. He would perform the sacrificial rites, and he would make atonement for the people, and he would be the mediator. He would be able to bring the people before God, and God would pour out his blessings on his people through him. Today, we don't have a priestly system. We have a final and great high priest who would come, and he would not atone for our sins with an animal sacrifice, but he would atone for our sins with his own very life. The sinless lamb of God, he would go to that cross and die for us to restore us back to God, to bring us into unity with him. And as he died, as he's called us to be his own, he written our names on his heart. The spirit comes down on him, comes down onto the church and onto us. Your name is engraved on his heart, and there is nothing in heaven or on hell that would erase his name from his heart. But just as your name is on his heart, so are the names of your brothers and sisters sitting next to you. The sacrifice that was given to you was given to the people that we sit with in this room. And if we look past our differences, if we're able to love and forgive and show mercy, if we're able to display Christ to one another as we look to Christ together, there is great blessing that God pours down on us in this gathering. God's gift to us is this church, is our brothers and sisters. His gift to us is to encourage us so that as we fight this good fight, as we make this journey to this world, that we would have a family to travel with. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.